it was very frustrating seeing people progressing very quickly and me being kind of at the bottom of the ladder. And I was like, am I doing something wrong? Am I the one that's, you know, am I not getting something? Hello there, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you are listening to this and love Human and Holy, can I ask you to do us a quick favor? Take a second and leave us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for supporting the show. And let's get to today's episode. Today, we have Sandra Paul from Northridge, California, talking about the long, short way of Tanya and why so many of us feel the instinct to make the road disappear so we could just skip to the happy ending of the story. Sandra is vibrant, enthusiastic, and honest about all the ways she wishes she could skip to the destination and what she does to keep herself anchored in the work of the present. I'm Sandra. I love being Jewish. I love being a chassid. I'm a shlucha. I was actually born in L.A., grew up in the south of France when my parents got divorced. So, français est ma première langue. French is my first language. Good Jew. I moved back to L.A. with my mother. And I always grew up proud to be Jewish, very traditional, nothing out of the ordinary. I moved back to L.A., finished high school, and then I really didn't want to go to college, but my mother kind of forced me. I really wanted to be an actress, but she was like, you're never going to make money being an actress. I was like, okay, great supportive (laughs) mother. And I went to college. I'm sure I went to college really to meet my spiritual parents. Shout out to Chabad on campus worldwide. And the rest really is history. You know, I'm a product child of Chabad on campus, probably George Orris poster child, and did every trip under the sun, really connected to learning. I think that's really what it was. I really connected with learning and not so much the doing. I mean, I was doing a lot of chewing and eating, but not really so much of, you know, Even though Chabad pushes the mitzvahs, it was more for me like about the learning. I hadn't done that my whole life. So I really connected with that and went to my note, did the whole works. And, you know, I hate saying that now I'm religious or from, I like to say, happens to be that I'm a little bit more wired in all senses of the way. I'm as crazy or even more crazier than I was before. And now full circle, my family and I are back where I started on campus and I'm helping the Shulchan out there. So it's really full circle and I feel so privileged to to be there. That's the truth. Oh my gosh. Literally full circle. Like now your life's mission is directly tied to the place that brought you to where you are today in terms of your connection and awareness of your Judaism. Yeah, exactly. 
when I'm on campus and people ask me, oh, you know, where's Manzanita Hall? I could tell them where Manzanita Hall. And I'm like, wait, are you Jewish? So it's really, I feel very privileged. Every time I see an Amazon package from me, I'm like, do I really live here? I feel very, very privileged. That's the truth. That's so special to have that experience of your life. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the long, short way of Tanya and how that has played into your journey. There's like two paths that are outlined in the Tanya, one from chapter one to 17, which is a lot of inner work, getting to know yourself, getting to know your spiritual makeup and what it looks like to really transform who you are and to experience God on an emotional level. And then from chapter 18 to 25, we have just that inherent love that a person has inside of them that kind of gets awoken at times of inspiration that makes us want to come close to God. So tell us a little bit more about how you interpret these two paths, what your journey has been with these two paths, and we'll get into the details of your story. Perfect. So when I was in my note in Israel, I actually heard this story from one of the rabbis, I can't remember who, but he said that there was this rabbi in the Talmud who was traveling and he asked a child, I don't know why it was random child alone, but he asked a child, you know, which way to the city? Obviously I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember full details. And the child said, there's the long short way or there's the short long way. And when you hear that, obviously you want the shorter way, you know, automatically. So he chose the short, long way. He went and as he's continuing, he sees that the route is obstructed by trees and unforeseen circumstances. So then he actually had to retrace his steps. He saw the child again, happened to be the child's at the same position, creepy child. And he's like, what do you mean? You told me that this is the way to the city. He said, I also told you it's a long way. So then he ended up taking the long, short way. So I think that was, you know, everyone has an aha moment in their life. And I think that this was really a catalyst for me. I feel like we're, especially myself, I'm very into instant gratification. You know, a quick far Mm. bring in, a quick 60 minute reel, especially now more than ever. And when I heard this story, I realized that, yeah, we have intrinsic capabilities of going somewhere that's very quick, right? And we could get there quickly. But also the work and the desire of wanting to really delving into something and actually getting it and having it process internally, that will get you to the place maybe a little longer, but it'll be definitely much more rewarding and it'll be much more long lasting in the end. Often in my life I'm at this crossroad, right? You know, and It doesn't have to be even, I'm saying now what I'm saying before, but often we're in this crossword and we're like, do we want to do something the right way or do we want it to be more internal? And I really think in a lot of my life, I've done both paths and I don't think one's wrong, one's right. It's more so how do you want to go about it and how do you want it to permeate later on, you know? So for some, a far bringing is what people need to get that quick juice inspiration, you know, even I would kind of say that this podcast in a way is the short long way. It's a quick fix. You get inspired after the 58 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it is. And it really gets you, it gets you inspired and wanting to do more. So I would respectfully say that this is the short long way. Whereas if you're going to open up a Tanya 
and really, you know, every day, let's say do hitas, which I'm not, you know, I try, but I'm definitely not there. But if you really open up a Tanya and learn with someone and put in the work, you'll actually internalize it and get it. And that's really, I feel like the long, short way. So it's really two routes, two different approaches. But in the end, it's do you want the methodical effort and the commitment that's going to then result into like that great accomplishment? Or do you want the shortcut, which you'll get there faster, it just might take a little bit longer, you know, Mm. in internally. Nice. So in the example, the long short way that the child showed him to the city, was it a paved road? How would you define like that, the difference? Because you mentioned the short long way was just impossible to traverse because it was, it just had, it was such a difficult path. Right. So the short long way was definitely shorter. I'm saying physically, it just was obstructed by Mm -hmm. whatever it was. And the long short way was just clear, but much longer to get. It was just, you know, follow the yellow brick road type thing, you know? Okay, nice. So paralleling that to like our own experience. Can you tell us what your experience has been between these two routes? You mentioned that you are an instant gratification type of person. Maybe your instinct was to take a shorter path that would have been less sustainable in the long run. And how did you ensure that? And how do you ensure, because it's a lifelong process, that you stay on that long, short way? It's really sometimes, it's so hard. That's the truth. I feel like I'm constantly juggling with both. And I know which method is best for me, but it's very much of a juggle, especially being, you know, a mother, a wife, or even now an educator, you know, someone who's on the giving end. I feel like, especially being on campus and being on the giving end, you're like, you want to see results right away. Like you feed people constantly and you're constantly giving them insane information and you're like, okay, let's go, you know, let's do this Jewish thing. And then when you realize it takes much more time than than you anticipated, it's a little bit uneasy. And I think that's why people choose to just do the short, long way. I think there's two different approaches also how I did it. So I saw a lot of my friends who took on very quickly, you know, for them, it was very easy to connect to Tznias and not listening to non-Jewish music, which is so hard for me, or different things that to some might seem minuscule, but to others, it's like grandioso.com. But for me, I was like, I can't do this. I can't take this on so quickly. I have to really, I have to understand, I have to learn, and I have to really delve into it. A lot of people ask me, when did you become religious? And I really don't. I always tell them, what do you mean? I'm still not religious. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to connect, you know, every day. It's not like, oh, in 1965, well, it wasn't more 1965, but in 20 whatever, that's when it happened for me. And that's what it did it. It was very frustrating seeing people progressing very quickly and me being kind of at the bottom of the ladder. And I was like, am I doing something wrong? Am I the one that's, you know, am I not getting something? And the more I realized and the more I was learning, the more I was really like getting into it and honestly, inwardly battling with myself, you know, because I was like, maybe I should start taking things on super quick, you know, in 3.2 seconds. And it definitely, it took some work and it still takes work. 
And I'm still dealing with it, honestly, on a day to day. I think even with parenting, you know, you could, you could either give your kid a lollipop and then they'll be quiet. Or mm-hmm. you could actually explain to them why this situation's not the right one for them now. What I love about Tanya and Hasidus is that it's very, very profound and very aloof and very, very grandioso. But in day to day, I see it. I see it manifesting in my life. And I think that's why I connected with this so much, and especially Tanya and Hasidus. And that's where I really started. Like I started with learning. I didn't start with doing. And it was so contradictory to me because everyone's like, you're, hello, you're not from, but you're a Hasid. Like you're not from, but you're like, you're there. You get it. You get things. And yeah, I got it. I was like, yeah, the rub is my Tati. Let's do it. But lighting Shabbos candles, like, see you later. So at one point, you know, the Shriach I work for now, and who's like my spiritual Tati, he was like, listen, Sandra, at the end of the day, we're Chabad, you know, like (laughs) the mitzvah, you know, let's do it. The mitzvah is what really counts. And I was like, oh, this is for your Mashiach points. I'm not going to do it for you. Mm. And it was really unsettling to be in this limbo of I get it and I know what I should be doing, but I'm not there yet. So I kept on learning and I was learning a lot and I got it. It really resonated with me, the whole approach of Hasidic philosophy and the Rebbe's views on life. And I started, you know, little by little doing, and I think that's where I really saw the approach come alive and where the implementation of what I was learning was actually being manifested of what I was doing. And it was like, now that's really what it's all about when you Mm. learn and you actually do it. And I saw it come alive, like really, because I really felt like a bacher. I was constantly learning, 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 and I wasn't seeing the fruits of my labor. But once I was actually doing it, that's where everything joined and collided. And that's where the magic happened. Mm. It was like things started to sink in in a new way once you started to sync it with your actions. Yeah. Things actually started coming alive and mm-hmm. the approach started developing like in my life, not just in theory. Nice. And that's where I realized that, okay, the most important is to do and to actually live it and to lead by example. You could learn about something, but at the end of the day, even if it's a quick fix or not a quick fix or long haul or not, you're not doing it. You're not living by what you're learning. Mm -hmm. So that's when really the journey began for me. And it's still going. That's the truth. It's still trying to be developed more and more as I'm growing as a person and as I'm maturing in, you know, in my life. And yeah. I think it's so interesting that you said that you felt like you were falling behind, like you were behind your friends who were on similar journeys or like you were kind of like not catching up fast enough to what you were studying. What would you say in retrospect was the necessity of that process, of that slowness of just learning before doing and really taking time to internalize what you had studied? So- You know, what's funny is that when I was in SEM, I had this long running list of how do you become a Chabad Balchova, right? So step one is changing your name from Sandra to Chaimushka, right? (laughs) Then step two is moving to Crown Heights for seven years and then complaining about the Shidduch system. Like I had a long running list. It was a humorous list. 
Like for it was humorous. Purpose. Okay. Yeah. Obviously not <laughs> real. But in a way, I really I loved the destination. Like I loved what that destination and what that focus point was. It's just, I guess, I really didn't know how to get to it. So I thought that I was doing the right thing. I was like, guys, you're taking on things way too quickly. And even if you hear shluchim and you hear even the rabbit like speaking to someone coming to dollars to him, the rabbit is not going to say, do X, Y, and Z, which my friends were doing. The rabbit is like, start with lighting Shabbos candles, start with tefillin, check your mezuzah, like one thing. And I was like, one thing at a time. Guys, you're going way too insanely quick. And I think I was projecting. I was just really, really not self-confident with my own journey. I was just projecting. I was like, if this works for them, this should work for them. Mm. I just was like, when I was learning, it did not align with what I was seeing. Mm. So I was like, first learn it, like get into it, learn the sikhas, like do this before wearing a shaitel and you're not even married, you know? So this parallel and like this kind of race that I was living was really, really so hard for me. And the fact that I saw the trajectory and I saw the destination, but I didn't know how to get there because I was constantly being compared to or comparing myself to others. And when I was like, this has nothing to do with me. And unfortunately, I'll be honest with you, just to be transparent, a lot of people that take on things very quickly, it didn't resonate to the point that it's lasted, you know? And I think that's what also got me nervous, you know, when people started lighting Shabbos candles and then it didn't last how it should. And I was like, hey, I need to really, really, really take this slow. So it was a crazy long process, but I saw it like once I started taking things on and once I started doing things very slowly. And also I think once my ego got out of it and once I was like, stop comparing yourself to others and stop comparing them to you, that's when I really saw it happen and manifesting and developing and really saw that it's not a race. Everyone's on their own path happens to be you know, your crossroads different than someone else's. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good point because I feel like when we become the most frustrated with our speed is when we're looking over our shoulders at someone else. Cause like we're only slow in comparison to someone else. Like, is it really objectively slow or is it just in comparison to someone else who seems to be on a similar journey to myself? It's slow. <laughs> right. Exactly. Fact, fact, fact. on fact, <laughs> facts on facts. Something else that you said that stuck out to me was that you're like, I just didn't know how to get there. But I would argue that you knew how to get there, but you just had this intuition that it needed to be through a process. It's not like you right. know how to get there. Now you can arrive. There's a process to integrating something into your life. Right. So really, there's the path, just to go back to the short, long way and long, short way, there is the path of faith and there's the path of mind right? Mm. So I think the path of faith is really the short, long way. The short, long way is what intrinsically you know what's true, what's not true. You know you shouldn't be eating chocolate 24-7. So it's something that it comes naturally. It's innate. So that's one. That's the path of faith. That's the short, long way. And then the long, short way is really, it's like the path of mind and the path of logic and the path of of you toiling for it. And 
it's not innately going to come and it's not something that you might know, you know, in precursor to something else. It's really, really something that it's logical. It's not already in there. It's something that's learned and it's something that you're like, okay, this is how A, B equals C. Whereas Mm. my faith, I knew what's right from wrong. So the destination I saw and I knew what I wanted, but the journey was where it really was much harder for me to grasp and to get on and to figure out, you know? Oh my gosh. I love how you just put that. There's the mind, then there's the faith. And that the long, short way is that path of experiencing Torah and Chassidus with our minds and integrating it into who we are as people versus the faith that we all have intrinsically inside of us that is very real, is not enough to carry us through the very real trials and tribulations of life and Jewish life and a life connected to God in a, in a world of concealment. Right. Said so beautifully. How does that show up for you now, years later? I mean, tell us where you are on the timeline. It's not about the time, but just to give some context, like how many years later are you from when you first met your shluchim and then now on shluchus at the same campus that you came to as a student? And how does this process show up for you now in your life? So I met them in 2009 and that's when I graduated high school and that's when I started college and now we're 2023. So, you know, you do the math. Wait, not 2009. Yeah, 2009. Oh, that's crazy. 2009. So it's been a while. And I think that I'm still on this journey, like I was telling you. And especially now being on the back end and in the background of things and on the giving end and not just like a full receiver, like mouth open, I definitely see it manifest, I think, even more so now because I have all this past experience. Where am I now? I think I'm still dealing with it. Like very, very real. And I see it also when I look at my daughter, you know, being in the system for the from system and like for about now, let's say 10 years, right? I kind of could compare and contrast where I came from and what the system looks like. And I always say this, you know, I say that being a Balchova in a way is so easy right? Because when you see the destination, there's so much structure, there's so much reward, there's so much meaning and purpose. So obviously, it's so much easier to be a Balchova to come to Yiddishkeit. Now to keep it, to keep Yiddishkeit and to keep that excitement in the Maidani, to keep, you know, I'm so excited to wash Nagelwasser. I'm so excited to, you know, say a bracha. That's really when it hits home. And that's when I look at my daughter, I'm like, you're growing up in the system. Like you're FFB, you're from, from birth girl. Like I want you to be excited from birth and I don't need you to think of all these crazy things and which way and which way. I want you to just be excited for the mitzvah. I want you to realize that it's a long, short way, but you're already on it. You're at the destination. It's just how you're going to do it every day. So even for myself now, I think that I've calmed down, you know, I landed from Balchova world and I feel like I really landed into the system. It was maybe a rougher landing than expected, but now it's how do I get that excitement day to day and not just like everything I was learning, I was like soaking it up 
and I was so excited on a day today. But now that I'm kind of landed, how do I keep that excitement going? And I think that's where the journey is. So what's beautiful about Tanya and especially this Altarabesque, you know, <laughs> perspective and view is it's every day at every ages, different stages, wherever you are in life. It's not just when you're starting to light Shabbos candles. It's no, you're a bubby. You're lighting Shabbos candles for now 78 years. How do you still find the excitement in it? How do you still get to the destination and see the fruits of your labor while you're still, you're choosing the path of not just faith, but also of mind, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's what I love about Tanya and and I love about Hasidus. It's the everyday. It's not you learned, close the book, next chapter. It's no, there's a reason why we go back and we do the whole thing yet over again. When you say destination, what do you mean by that? So I could just say that obviously Mashiach's not here, so we're not reached, you know, full stop. But I feel like that's a very Balchova-esque thing to say. But the truth is that Mashiach is not here. I, you know, the more you learn and the more you you delve into the Sichas and you see what the Rebbe says to everyone. Mashiach's not here, so that's the destination. Final stop, boom, boom, chicka, boom, boom. But we're not there. So clearly we're still using both paths, not the best to our abilities. Maybe we need to work a little bit harder and not have things just come our way and not just rely on a short far bring in, you know, and to actually implement into your day-to-day. And I thought the destination was, you know, happiness, but that's also such a quick fix. I think sometimes in the challenging times, that's when you really, really get to see the background of things and why things happen for this and why it happens for that. And it's unsettling sometimes, but the fact is that we haven't reached our destination yet and we have to work a little bit harder. That's the truth. Well, you said it so beautifully, which is that if the destination is Mashiach, which is, that's like full integration. So then just depending on bursts of inspiration is not going to be enough. We want to experience actual transformation as people. And that's what each of our journeys are. I also feel like when Mashiach's going to come, it's not going to be an end-all be-all. Like, I feel like we shouldn't rely just on Mashiach for, <laughs> for, that quick dose of inspiration. Like I always ask when Mashiach's going to come, are we just going to, we're just going to sit and relax? No, we're still going to do it. We're still going to have to work at it. We're still going to be living and experiencing, you know, the same things that we experience and we have to do the mitzvahs and stuff like that. And it's definitely going to be much easier, but we're still going to have to put in the work. It's a two-way street. It's us and Mashiach. And that's why when Mashiach comes, we're going to ask those questions and we're going to say, why was it so difficult? Why did this happen? But also we're going to still have to put in the work. It's not just going to be, you know, a one-way street. Yeah. Can you give us any examples of your life now and how you experience either a struggle within your Yiddish guide or within your practical life as a human being where your instinct is like, I want instant gratification. I want to get this out of the way. I don't want to have to deal with it. Like, can I just force myself to do it? Or can I just force this thing to go away and training yourself to sit in the process and what that looks like for you to do? Yeah. So I guess the more I hear this podcast, the more I realize that people are really transparent. So I'll be completely transparent for you. 
when I had my daughter four years ago. And, you know, when you see all these Robinsons, right, when you're on college campus, you're like, oh my gosh, they have 770 kids. So once you do the whole thing and shebang, you're thinking, oh, okay, you get married, have kids, and things just come easy. So I had my daughter four years ago, and Barsham, she's a little crazy diva, and I love her so much. And we're actually going through a little bit of a secondary, not a little bit, we're going through secondary infertility, and it's very challenging, to be honest. I think it's much more challenging just because, again, just like when I was in seminary, I compared myself to others. Here, I feel like I'm comparing myself to others in the way that, like, yeah, I'm 31. Oh my gosh, I'm almost 40. My husband keeps on telling me, you're like not almost 40, but I'm 31 and the clock's ticking. And he's like, no, the clock, it's second by second. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm doomed. I'm just going to have one. And I'm literally living it. And it's very challenging. And obviously my nature is to be like, let's go, you know, what treatment, what doctors, what, what, you know, what is it? And even though we've done, you know, and consulted a lot of people, it's just living with it and realizing that you have to, you know, toil where you are and you're Mm -hmm. here for a reason. And I'm definitely living the long, short road now, literally manifesting in my life at this very moment. And the short, long way would be like, just let's adopt. Like, I'm just being very real. Like, even I told I told my husband, let's foster, let's adopt, let's just get this process going. And he's like, no, firstly, we have one beautiful daughter, like live with it, you know, live with the present and see the glass half full, not half empty. But yet again, my nature is like, let's just, I don't know, let's, let's figure it out. Like IVF, JFK, LAX, whatever, you know, whatever acronym we could use, let's just do it. And it's obviously clearly not always that, you know, that route and that way. So yeah, even now with this whole journey, I'm journeying on the long short way. And I know what the destination is, right? To have more children, God willing. But now I have to just be with being okay with where I am right now. And I definitely know the the golden destination, but it's put in the work and you are putting in the work. So just let it flow. Let it happen. Just be, just be, just be here. Just be present, you know? So I'm definitely, definitely living in it. Wow. Sitting in the process, like forcing yourself to sit in the process of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard. Especially like it's such a good metaphor because it's like you don't know what the outcome will be and that's what makes the process so hard. And in every individual situation that we're dealing with, it's like you don't know where this is going to lead. You don't know where this road leads. Yes, it's like the long brick road, but it's winding. And so like you can't see past the bend. And that's why those quick fixes are so appealing, I guess, because they seem certain in some way. Right. Exactly. It's so appealing and it's hard. I feel like it's, it's a constant, it's a constant battle, a constant battle of what really you could do and how you could live your life or how you could potentially live your life, you know? Mm. And I fluctuate a lot. And I, again, it's, it's this comparing game and this being in your head game. Whereas, you know, when you actually 
I saw it. And it's so dumb because I, I see it manifesting so many different ways when I really believe. And when I, you know, say what I preach or preach what I do or say whatever the expression is, and I see the fruits of the labor and here I'm like living it. And I'm like, Sandra, have a little dose of what you're saying. Don't just say it because you want to feel good about saying it. Actually implement it. So it's challenging, but it definitely, the fact that we have this structure and the fact that I'm living with with meaning and purpose, I definitely feel comfort in that. And I definitely feel that I'm doing the right thing, you know, and whatever it is, it is, it's just seeing, like, let it sit and let it be, but don't be proactive about it, you know? Mm. What tools are you using personally to support yourself through this time? That's such a good question. Your podcast help. That's a lot. I think that's the quick fix. Really? So Your podcast helps a lot. I think being on the giving end, I think the Rebbe knew that I needed to be a giver and to be around students and constantly feeling that inspiration because the Rebbe knew that I need instant gratification. So the fact that when I give matzah to a student, I, I literally could burst and have fireworks coming out of everywhere in my body. Like I feel for it and I'm living with constant inspiration. So in a way, I feel like it's diffusing the things that weigh so hard on me. Mm. And I think because I'm such an extroverted, extroverted, shiba extrovert, the fact that there's students coming out of the wazoo every 24-7, literally, to be on the giving end, it feels so good. And it, it's counterintuitive because you, you don't want to be selfish when you give, but you get so incredibly much. And, you know, so too with parenting and so too with being in a committed relationship. And the tools, I think, would just be being on the giving end and really believing what I'm saying, really believing what I'm giving also, you know, having a dose of my own medicine. Wow. It's fascinating to me because like you are such a passionate, alive, vibrant person. It's like you could live in that high and then there's areas where you can't. So like learning to bridge those two places seems to be a part of your journey. Yeah. What is it about the giving that gives you comfort, that gives you satisfaction and meaning? So I think the more you give, the less you feel yourself, right? The more you give, the less you feel, not in a way that like you shouldn't feel like your your emotions and put your emotions aside or your needs or your desires or anything. It's more when you're a giver, I mean, it goes back to anything in life, but when you're a giver, you're making yourself a Kaylee to receive so much mm -hmm. because you're putting your ego aside. You're realizing it's not about you. It's purely about the person that you're giving to. And if you have ulterior motives, it's going to show. It's not going to be genuine. People are not going to resonate with it. And I think that when you're truly so transparent about the mission and you're transparent about where your intentions lie, mm. then when you receive, it's such a great gift. Also, the fact that we're, I mean, <laughs> being a student myself a few years ago, I feel like I was such a receiver. I was such a schnar. I was so annoying, honestly. Like, I, it was just <laughs> all about me. And I look at students now and I'm like, I really have zero expectations. That's the truth. Because we see students just being at constant receivers, you know, and I'm just like, okay, 
I'm giving it my all. And then when I get a glimpse or a little taste of being on the receiving end, it catapults my week to like being crazy out of this world. And I think what matters the most is being transparent about your intentionality and being transparent about what you want, what you want the goal to be. And people will resonate with that full heartedly. And in the end, you'll then become the receiver. And then I'll fill that like empty vase that you're like, oh my gosh. So being on the giving end on a daily basis, it's never about you because you're always giving and then you're always ultimately receiving. So it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Has giving in this way of sharing the beauty of Torah and Yiddishkeit with other people, has that helped you also with your personal integration of things really sinking in for you too? Because I imagine that you're teaching and you're sharing your lifestyle. Yes. So I think the fact that I'm giving so much and the fact that I'm, you know, teaching and whatever, it brings me in a way it echoes what I'm thinking. Let's even just take, for example, long, short way, short, long way. And when you're actually teaching it to someone, it's like you're hearing yourself giving it over and you take it more because it's receptive with the other person. And you're like, see, they get it. So obviously it it ricochets back to you and you even get it doubly. Mm. And so the fact that you're teaching when I'm teaching it or when I'm living it or when I'm showing it and, you know, modeling behavior is so big for me. I think that people resonate with that and it helps me even more with my intention and with my life. And sometimes when you have downtimes, it ricochets so much that it like it's in your face and then it really gets me going. It really does. What do you mean when you have downtime? Like it gets you going when you have downtime. What do you mean by that? When I'm having a rough day, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm. I'm able to really give it over to someone. The fact that I'm giving it over and they're receptive to it, it bounces back so strongly to me and I get it even doubly. Mm. So it's even on the greater scope of things. Hashem knew that I needed to be on the giving end in order not to have some downtime, in order to constantly receive. And he knew that I needed to be where I'm at in order to really see how leading and living a meaningful life actually is the best thing, you know, since sliced bread. Mm. I get what you're saying, which is that like the more you give to the students around you and in your life as a shlucha, the more it mirrors back to you how beautiful and meaningful your life within Yiddishkeit is. It's like right. they're kind of holding up a mirror that you you yourself gave them, but then it ends up being like a gift to you to see that beauty. Right. You're so good with words. Exactly. <laughs> Can you share with us, what would be your advice for anyone who struggles to really surrender to the longer route that we need to be on? I think that most people, whether or not they grew up in a from religious environment or not, are on this path of trying to integrate the knowledge of Hashem and their souls and of Torah and mitzvos into their life in a really real, visceral, integrated way. But our instinct is like, I just want to catch up. I just want to have it all done. So like, what's your advice for that desire to like not have to follow the long brick road of integration? Right. So it's brilliant because like you said, it's a spectrum. It's not like this is a magic formula for when you become religious or yeah. you've reached your destination. Now, mm-hmm. you know, follow A, B, and C. 
I really think that learning gets me through it. Like mm-hmm. I see just daily learning and daily inspiration. And I think that's why it's set up in such a way that every day you should take out a little bit of time to learn in order to really fill that that spiritual void, you know? So learning is really what gets me and not just learning myself, like by teaching or learning with someone more so not teaching, more so learning with someone. I think that's what gets me going and really makes me understand it more, makes me understand what the intention of it all is. So, yeah. You're saying like learning and teaching is what can keep someone grounded on that longer route. Like basically learning as a constant companion to keep you focused on the significance of the long journey. Right. Also, it's funny because Rabbi Chaim, who I work for, he always says when he went to camp, just I'm saying this because we're in the summer, but when he went to camp, you know, a lot of kids were like, oh, now it's about sports and you're away from the day to day and and it's not so structured or whatever. And then he said always, I forget if it was after davening or after a shear or something, there was in the microphone that said, learning never ends, learning never ends. And I think that's so too in life. Like you feel that, okay, I've got these approaches. I've taught it. I've learned it. I've implemented it. But learning never ends, you know, Mm -hmm. learning just keeps going and it keeps you, like you said, focused and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you going. And I think that without that constant learning without that constant inspiration and not just short fix inspiration, just constant. And like, you know, you, you should do things 101 times and that's, what's going to really at the end of the day, be the most impactful and get you to that destination and to that journey. And it might be challenging. I'm not saying it's not. Someone tells me, well, you know what? I, I'm asking the rabbi this, or I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that. I'm like, did you learn with someone what it means? Like, let's Mm. learn about it. Let's learn together. Let's do it. Don't just, you know, hypothetically think, well, I'm not doing this. Obviously, you're not because you have to put in the work. And it's really, really putting it in, putting in the work, putting in the time, the effort, and you'll see the fruits of your labor if you really put it in. If you halfway it, it's kind of like everything. If you halfway it, you might get there, but you might, you know, it might be a little bit, a little bit sketch how you get there. And also it's going to be half past. It's not going to be long lasting. So I would say really how I find comfort is that daily inspiration, that daily learning and that daily giving. Because if you just scatter the seeds on the surface, then like they're not going to penetrate. But if you do that work of continuously mining the same areas of chassidus, I really agree with that. And you said that earlier, that like there's a reason why we learn the Tanya again and again each year. I feel like I could just learn chapter one of Tanya for the rest of my life. And that would probably be enough, you know, or any chapter of Tanya, just like choose that to actually study again and again, not just like the main cliff notes, but you're so right. that Just coming back and really opening up the books and addressing these ideas that helps us maintain our clarity. You know, Chayenu had once a an ad that said, are you learning chitas or are you saying chitas? Mm. And I think that goes with our life. Are we learning what we're doing or are we just saying it? You know, or are we just hearing or are we just listening? There's such a nuance there. 
And I think we could say something over and over again, but are we actually learning it and actually doing it? Nice. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. I really enjoyed having the chance to speak with you. So thank you so much for making the time and for opening up and sharing your life and journey with us. Thank you. You're amazing. (laughs) That's the truth. You have like a virtual Chabad house. I'm telling you, it keeps me going. It's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. That's like, that is so meaningful to me that like you who derive so much energy and joy from giving that like you could receive something small from mm-hmm. the podcast Immense, and you're also a giver on the podcast. So like, thank you. Yeah. It's full thank you so now. much. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Elokai Zakinina Betoratrao Vimitotecha Mechaberet Nishmati Tamidinecha Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. (laughs) 